Hello and welcome into this episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and today we're talking to Christoph Jamay. He's the director of social media and mobile for Gather. It's a consultancy agency for massive brands, and Gather helps clients like IBM and Bloomberg find digital opportunities in emerging trends. As a gamer himself, Christoph has seen the recent push of brands into esports, and now he's begun to focus more attention on how Gather's clients can be involved in the esports industry. Now, before we jump into that conversation with Christoph, I'm re-recording this intro because for some reason, the online audio format that we use to record all these podcasts remotely defaulted to my internal microphone on my computer, not my $300 microphone that most podcasts are recorded on. It's a pretty brutal issue, and throughout this podcast, you're going to notice that my audio quality is pretty poor in comparison to Christoph's, and for our listeners, in comparison to all the other episodes of the Esports Network podcast. I want to apologize for that and acknowledge it at the top. If you're a new listener, this is not what podcasts normally sound like, and I do apologize. Now, I'm keeping this podcast and publishing it because Christoph was a great guest, and I really enjoyed our conversation, uh, but I did want to acknowledge that that audio quality is faulty because for some reason, Zencaster decided to mess it up for me today. Going forward, I'll have that issue figured out and we'll make sure that that doesn't happen again. Not sure what went wrong this time. I checked it before, but somehow the internal microphone uh, reset to the default. And so that's how we ended up recording this show. So with that being said, let's get into the conversation with Christoph. And again, I apologize for the audio quality. So Christoph, starting off, you're a gamer. What games have you been playing? What's your favorite right now? Oh man, that's like the best question in the interview, man. All right, so um, I'd say my my primary my primary source of sodium is uh, Overwatch. Um, I'm a Moira and Brig main. Uh, not great, but you know it's 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 honest work. Um, what else? I've actually been playing a lot of this game called Deep Rock Galactic, which is a four player co op. Uh, where you're space dwarves mining procedurally generated tunnels, and every now and then uh, these like giant bug monsters come and try and kill you, and it's like super fun and just really really great to play with other people. So I've been doing a lot of that, and then um, single player Dead Cells. Dead Cells just consumes me. It is so hard and so good, and the replay value is just disgusting. There's so much replay value, so. I'd say I'd say that's that's where I'm at. But uh, I've been a gamer my whole life. First computer was a 286, and you know, cut my teeth on DOS games and worked my way all the way up, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. You're like a challenge out of your video games. I can tell by that list. Yeah, you know the ro- it, roguelikes have a certain like rhythm to them, right? You kind of get into a zen state of dying all the time, and so it kind of like I don't know. It's it's kind of a uh, it's just it's it's a constant. A source of difficulty so you, you can really kind of uh work it to kind of figure out the best way to play through right um so yeah i guess i guess i do have a soft spot for roguelikes <laughs> i love it it's good to get invested in a game where you can really get sucked into a challenge that doesn't have a ton of real world consequences that's one of the reasons i've loved video games over the last three months because it gives you something to focus on and be mad at that you know isn't really the state of the world, which is nice. 
it, it is it is it's a you know like like a frustrated gamer anger seems so minor compared to the real frustrations of the world right now that it's it's almost uh cathartic to to just <laughs> rage at a, at a at a kill that shouldn't have happened right or a death that shouldn't have happened Arthur does feel better so as you were a gamer your entire life and then just like many people had to split off and find a career pathway probably outside of gaming uh for a large portion of your career, how have you seen gaming come back into your life on the career side over the last five to 10 years as gaming has really picked up and gone mainstream, especially in the brand world? Yeah, I think I think that's a great question, right? I mean, you know, early on, the technology wasn't there to really allow gaming to have the prominence it does today. So I think, I think that because of technology and hardware improvements, you've gaming has become this and, and the internet gaming has become this uh, this space and entertainment um, that in my opinion is the forefront of the cinematic experience in that you know you can have a triple a title that is on par with a movie you'd watch but you have choice and decision making and you're in on the action right so so the the immersion of of some of these games just 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 creates this emotional attachment that I think um, resonates with a lot of people, right? So, and then and then I think you know multiplayer and 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 esports as well have have their own cachet, um, and they've become a lot more watchable um, in the last few years for sure. So, you know, when you're looking at the context, even before COVID, which I think is its own its own thing to talk about, um, it. it it started moving away from the fringe, right? As 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 consoles and, and PCs both gained popularity, and as we started to realize that, um, you know, it isn't just eighteen to thirty four year old dudes hanging out in basements. Um, it, it it covers a really large swath of the world, right? And I think I think that also uh, benefits from uh, the globalization of the internet and technology as well, right? This is a worldwide sport. I think once once it became really huge in Asia, it it, it really started to accelerate what it meant uh, on a global scale. Um, and, and you know, it, it it walks this really great line between uh, the digital world and in person, right? Especially up until COVID happened, you started seeing some really big events in person um, that 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 related to gaming right so you know before it really was just a digitally native experience and that was great but but it you know especially esports and kind of like digital festivals mixing in into in-person events has really kind of changed the landscape right and the two the two examples or the two or three examples i'll give are like the overwatch league finals from from i think two years ago when they had them at the um barclay center um that sold out the barclay center in the middle of the day on a Saturday and Sunday, it was crazy. Um, and, and, you know, I'd, I'd really never seen anything like it and the energy in the, in the crowd and, and, and you could tell how dialed in they were to the game. Right. Cause look, overwatch is, you really have to know what you're looking at to watch when you're watching like a really high, high end overwatch game. Yeah. You really have to know what you're looking at. You really do. But I'll tell you what, when you're there, the reactions, of the crowd are so instantaneous they're all dialed in. It is just like the energy was 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 better than any than than a lot of sports games I'd been to, right? And I'm not a huge uh, traditional sports guy, but 
uh, it was it was really palpable uh, on my end. So so that was great. And then the other the other example I'll give is is what DreamHack had been putting on for the last you know they've been putting on digital festivals for the last twenty five years, and it started out as a land party in Sweden. Um, and then it, it kind of culminated to renting out entire convention centers in, in Dallas, Atlanta, um, on California. And, and, and the best way I can describe it is it's like Coachella with video games. Um, you have concerts, you have land parties, you have expos, you have esports. It's probably one of the biggest, uh, CSGO tournaments, uh, out there. And the, you know, you just have these like thousands of people showing up with their own PCs to sit there for three days straight um, and play video games and watch esports and go to a concert. And it's just like, it was just incredible energy. Right. And so then you had this, you know, you had the whole COVID-19 thing happen um, and the industry had to retract from the in-person side. Um, But luckily because it's digitally native, it was just kind of going back to its roots um, and so I think you've seen a lot of really good pivoting. Um, I think you've seen, uh, you know, them keeping the ball rolling while this stuff gets sorted out. And so to loop back to your question, it's it's created a lot of opportunities for brands to get involved in the space that normally wouldn't have. Yeah, the numbers were coming through and were creating a big groundswell where it was impossible to ignore some of the numbers that were coming out of esports and gaming. And especially with things like Nielsen and AMA viewership, that can be directly comparable. Uh, that helped brands get involved as well. I think you hit on a really interesting, I'm not going to call it a misconception, but something I've, I've heard from people outside the industry is that esports is having this major moment right now. But you also mentioned how that aha comes from an in-person event. And that's true from everyone I've talked with who's really passionate about esports. The moment that they realized how big it could be and how awesome it was, was attending an in-person event. And while COVID has put LCS on ESPN and we've seen more talk about esports and in general media, that doesn't necessarily mean that people are understanding what it is. And I was really excited for the Call of Duty and Overwatch leagues to bring esports to a bunch of cities on a consistent basis because that would give people that in-person experience that I think is really crucial in advancing esports because there's just a level of, I don't know how I can understand it, can't grasp it until I go into a stadium and see everybody cheering. So everyone talks about how esports have this moment, there's a lot of exposure to it, and I agree, there definitely is. Not having those in-person events is actually pretty can be harmful in terms of people's true understanding of what esports is. Because I think those it's the only environment where you can truly grasp it if you're coming if you're somebody who's coming from outside the industry. Uh, we heard you mentioned the Barclays sellout. There's a really famous story from Madison Square Garden in 2015 where it sold out and a bunch of NBA owners, uh, Adam Silver was there, and a bunch of business people went to Madison Square Garden to watch League of Legends. And that's what basically pushed all of the NBA owners into esports ownership. NRG comes from that. Uh, a lot of the Overwatch League owners, a lot of the uh, Call of Duty League owners can tra- be traced back to that meeting at MSG where they see the, the stadium filled out. So I really think those in-person events are super crucial for people to understand esports and get on board with it, at least qu- more quickly. Uh, and not having that can actually be pretty harmful to esports as it stands right now. 
Oh, I, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think I think the like to be clear, the the industry has taken a hit from having to pause this 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 amazing momentum they had on the in-person events. And I I was able to go to the last NYXL um, home game that happened at Hammerstein Ballroom, and it was it was awesome. The energy, like it was actually a really great venue for it. The energy was super high. It was completely packed. Um, you know, the merch was sold out. Just it was it was really just a well done tight experience um and you're right you don't you know because like watching people watching people play video games on a screen like you can make it work but the energy doesn't come through like it does in person so i think i think everyone's really raring to go but uh you know it's it's better to kind of go back to to square one and still survive than than it is to deal with what other traditional sports are dealing with right um and so so they have an advantage, but they definitely took a hit. Is kind of the sum, summation, I'd say. Yeah, it's you know it's not all good for esports, and I've talked to enough people in the industry who are really struggling right now. So that when people come to me, they're like, "Oh, esports having this great moment." Like, yeah, we're still playing. That's good, but the framing has been a really positive thing for esports. I'm not sure if that's necessarily the case. I'm not saying that you're doing that. I've just heard that from quite a few people who are like, "Wow, look at esports." I'm like, "Yeah, it's." been a thing for a while um but yeah it's coming it's coming up quickly it has it reminds me it reminds me of this this meme and, and look i think part of it is just you know journalists want to find a story and it became it becomes the same narrative right and it's there's no nuance to the narrative and it reminds me of a meme that you know like the the stonk the stonks meme it was like uh 2018 or 2017 or 2016 esports isn't a sport and 2020 esports is the only sport <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's and that's it's something it's something it was a lot of acclimation but still a lack of understanding and hopefully what this creates is that once live events can happen enough people now have realized about esports is and will go attend live events so hopefully it pushes forward to that but i do think that's a crucial moment in anyone's understanding of what esports is especially because so many of the games are pretty confusing like let's be let's be honest. Overwatch, League of Legends. Uh, if you watch that and you're not under that, you don't understand what the champions are, what's happening. You're not really going to get it out of a broadcast experience. You got to be in that in-person event, feeding off the crowd's energy, and following along with the event with the crowd to actually understand what's going on in those events. I think that's really crucial for big brands for people who uh, don't understand esports to get that level of knowledge about it yeah i think i think that's true and you know i think there's there's kind of this this double-edged sword of of the viewer uh for esports especially when compared to traditional sports in that you know what what would you say just directionally the percentage of people who watch traditional sports that play the underlying sport are it's a good question pretty low it's pretty low though right like how many people who watch football play football Exactly. Yeah. I hardly ever played football in my life. I think NFL's viewership is 45% female and there's very few options for women to play football at all. And that hasn't really slowed the sports popularity. So yeah, I agree. It's pretty, like I assume most people who play basketball have shot a ball a few times, but have they played past like JV? Probably not. Right. So, right. And, and like with college sports is even more pronounced, right? Like, like how many people that, that follow 
a college sports team play the sport. It's 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 pretty it's it's generally pretty low, especially and it's a stark contrast to to esports, right? Like the percentage of people who watch Overwatch League that play Overwatch is super high. Um, I would I would argue. Um, like you've probably got a what eighty five to ninety five percent penetration there. Um, it's it's almost. Uh the esports viewership is some percentage of the player base almost every time or somebody who for or used to play there are quite a few people who used to play league of legends who still watch league of legends esports but that's basically your viewership almost has to come from somebody who has played the game for an extensive period of time it's really the only thing that makes sense yeah and luckily the, the player bases are huge so they can get away with that um like nfl would not be viable if the only people that watch nfl were people who played football in some league um and so but that changes the the dynamic of viewership and the the dynamic of crowds because they know what to look for they know what's going on they know why it's hard to hold a point they know why a certain kill was important um you know what i mean absolutely yeah and it changes what the casters are saying as well they're going to cater to the people i talked with ariel horn who's formerly the uh, Emmy-winning producer for League of Legends about how he created some of the world's broadcasts. He's now actually gone and launched his own network called Ven, which was launched last week. And Ariel was talking, he's like, you know, we don't have the the bandwidth that we're trying to do a broadcast in eight different languages. We're going to target that directly at the League of Legends fan. And that means not toning things down and not because there's enough League of Legends fans that we need to cater to them and not try and bring in low people. I thought that was really interesting as we look at how esports continues to grow. Can we bring in people who don't play the game? What games can do that? Is there only a few games out there that might be possible with that? I saw Rocket League try to do something with the coronavirus where they brought in uh, mainstream celebrity as the pastor. I can't remember who. I think it was a soccer player. And they towed down the broadcast of it, which Rocket League might be the only esport that you don't need to tone it down. But that's what they tried, and the viewership was still not very good. So there's some level of how do we make these games approachable to the average fan, or do we have to do that? Or is gaming's growth going to be enough to sustain viewership just based on player base? I don't know. Where do you, what do you think? Is that going to be crucial for esports growth, or can it continue how it, how it currently exists, catering to people who play the game? I think the answer depends... Um on the individual league in the game. So like you mentioned, rocket league is like super easy to figure out. It's just soccer with RC cars, you know, like it's, it's really not hard to, 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 to figure out a rocket league uh, game, right? You're there. One person's trying to get a ball on the other side. Um, so, so in terms of, of being universally understood, I think rocket league has a leg up on, on the other, on the other, on the other games. Uh, but, but, you know, I think, I think there's a couple of ways to, to deal with that. Uh, one would be to make sure that the the on ramp into playing the game is is made more easy, right? Um, like, so you know, because I think the more people the more people that play the game, um, you're just increasing the base of people that would understand the game that's watched, right? Um, and then I think there's you know there's a content solution. Um, you could do explainers. Um, you know, like if Overwatch League had a YouTube series on that, on kind of like dissecting what to look for in an Overwatch League game, I could see them doing stuff like that as well. Um, so, so I think, I think, I think there's a couple of different ways to do it. One is just kind of in content solution. The other is just getting people 
uh, bought into playing uh, and understanding the game that way. Um, so yeah. Yeah, absolutely agree. It's uh, that ease of access is crucial as well. I was uh, at a conference back in February, like the last travel I was able to do. And it was a couple of people from pro sports teams all over the Northwest. I think the Seahawks, uh, the Blazers, and the Timbers all had a representative there who were working on their various esports structures. And I had to ask, I was like, what's how difficult is it to gain viewership? These games sell pretty well. I mean, 2K, FIFA, and Madden sell fine. But for an esports perspective, every year it costs $60.00. Is that going to make it harder to capture viewers? Because there's no easy on-ramp into the game. People aren't playing it as much, or maybe they're playing a version of two years ago. Is this hard? And they all basically unanimously said, yeah, it makes it harder to capture viewers for our respected esports events. I think FIFA does the best, but NBA 2K League has struggled pretty heavily with viewers. Madden esports have been around for over a decade and haven't really ever taken off in a, in a huge way. Um, so I thought that was an interesting look at, you know, how a lot of developers are changing their strategies to bring people in. Uh, Fortnite's free-to-play, Rocket League's dirt cheap, League of Legends free-to-play, Hearthstone free-to-play, and then you have to pay a bunch of money afterwards. Um, so Overwatch still costs $60, but it's $60 once. Overwatch 2 comes out and it doesn't stop you from continuing to play. That annual subscription, I think Call of Duty's the only one out there, makes it kind of hard to grab... Viewers. And now even Call of Duty has moved to Modern Warfare or the uh, the Battle Royale mode is free. So clearly they're seeing that, hey, we have to make some concessions here if we want our thing to be a major esport to draw to bring in a lot of viewers. Uh, I wonder if something has to change on that front for those sports sim games to, to be successful in the esports front. It's a good question, right? Because because sports sim games have a leg up in that they don't need to reteach the sport to people. Right. Uh, if you're watching a 2K game and you know how basketball works, you can figure it out. Right. Same thing with with Madden. Same thing with FIFA. You're you're just watching a digital uh, version of a game you already are familiar with. Right. Um, and so I, I think you're right. Right. It comes down to monetization and how ubiquitous you can make you can make the game itself. Um, I, I would argue that I don't think the player base is as important to viewership for those sports games uh, because you don't need to like understand the game any differently or too differently than the underlying sport. Right. So um, I do think it is, it does create a challenge when you have a new version of the game come out every year. Right. Mostly I, I assume it's mostly just to kind of get new player bases put in, right. In terms of like the player, the playable players, right. Um, or stuff like that. Um, yeah, It's basically a meme that there's like, Oh, they improved it, but it's, you can put them side by side and it's slightly different game year after year. And you're basically just paying for updated rosters every year. <laughs> Meanwhile, GTA five. <laughs> it's the, the gaming world. The, the price of entertainment and gaming has just gone down over time. You don't have to buy the AAA title every year for a lot of these games. You could, you could play GTA five and you could get hours upon hours of enjoyment out of it. And, and even if you, even if you broke down, like my, my, my cost per hour of, gameplay on skyrim or fallout 4 or borderlands 2 or, or whatever is like nothing right once you play two three four hundred hours on something which is i'm like telling i'm exposing myself here but um it, it i mean it's 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 a it's a negligible cost to entertainment right um i mean 
that also means that the, the the developers have to figure out how to monetize further past that, right? Be it with in-game purchases or DLC or whatever. But in general, uh, you get a lot of bang for your buck in terms of cost to play per hour on a lot of these games um, that aren't free to play. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, I want to shift gears a little bit, get bored to your role of gathering just the shooting shit about gaming this whole time, which I love. Always happy to do. Uh, <laughs> your two main clients are IBM and Bloomberg. Is that still correct? Yes. Those are pretty fundamentally different companies. How does your approach change as a consultant depending on which client you're working for? Can you give us a little insight into you know, what the back end looks like there and how you're approaching avenues for both clients? Uh, while working for both at the same time. Yeah, and I mean, the, the best way I can explain it without kind of saying things I shouldn't say is, is the, I think the big difference between Bloomberg and IBM is IBM is a publicly traded company and Bloomberg is a privately owned company. And I think that that creates very different cultural behaviors uh, from one to the other. Not, not good or bad, just, you know, you're answering to different people, right? Um, and so you kind of have to consider that or you you know keep that in mind as you anticipate how executives are going to make decisions and how the business is going to make decisions um and so that kind of helps you keep things in mind right um you know like on on the bloomberg side you're not you're not necessarily worried about you don't you're not worried about what shareholders are going to think you're worried about what mike and the board are going to think right um and it's you know i'd say i'd say it's the the opposite of ibm i think i think on the ibm side you're you're thinking a lot about uh the customer and shareholders or how 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 leadership is 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 considering those things right um also i'd say IBM's a just a much larger company um and so there's this globality to the work that's done there um and that's 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 a bit of a key difference as well are you able to do more esports stuff with IBM? I know I've had Bill Lavore Barry on the podcast before. I know they're doing work in esports here and there, wherever they can, uh, because it's a tech company and it's you know sort of exists more in that world. Is there are they more open to esports opportunities as well? Yeah, I mean, I haven't I haven't uh, engaged with Bloomberg uh, on esports stuff. I do some some more general uh marketing and strategy work uh across the board for most of these companies um but i do I, I do know bill quite well he's he's great and he's really he's a he's an intense guy who who loves the sport and and uh and is very focused on on getting ibm to where it needs to be there um great great guy um and i think i think it's definitely easier right i mean when you think about IBM, from a historical point of view, um, they were at ground zero for gaming. They, you know, my, my, my first or my second PC was an IBM PS2. You know, uh, you go to a LAN party pre-COVID and you're still seeing IBM Model M keyboards here and there. Um, they developed the chipset architectures for most of the modern consoles that came out, right? Um, and so you have this cultural history of the brand that's attached to gaming from when it started. And, you know, for me that helps with the value prop in that the, the people who are decision makers in technology today, they were playing games when IBM was making hardware. Right. So, so there's this, 
there's this they still the brand still gets a benefit from being involved in gaming peripherally from years ago just just from that at least that's my at least that's my supposition right um and there's obviously a little bit of work that's been done uh since then um like um they were doing some of the um natural language processing for star trek bridge crew um and there's some other places where, where it pops up here and there so um i i think the opportunity is big and also uh, just functionally speaking the gaming industry is a software vertical it is it is a huge uh industry and it's an opportunity from a cloud point of view it's it's an opportunity from uh from a open source development point of view so i think i think there's a lot of value props there and bill probably spoke to it better than i ever could when when he was on your podcast but i think i think the the value prop for being involved in esports um there there are multiple and it's i think it's a pretty easy justification these days absolutely and then on the Bloomberg side, focusing on business, and again, I don't want you to get too deep into you know, what you're working on for these clients. I know you can't talk about that. Uh, but there is this sort of push of more business stuff happening in esports with major brands getting involved, uh, some companies going public, stock prices rising, especially during the pandemic. We've seen a lot of talk about Twitch and hours watched. Is there a, you know, this is something that I do a lot in my work for Adweek that, oh, hey, marketers, now care more about gaming and esports. Three years ago, there was probably no need to have a freelancer who specialized in that. Now there's enough stories that we need somebody to tell that. Is that something that's happening in Bloomberg as well in their in their news component? As they as we see businesses get more focused on esports, we see a lot of money coming to esports that Bloomberg feels like, hey wait, gaming is something we need to be more aware of. You know, I, I I haven't checked on the content side in terms of what the media arm is is putting out, but I would imagine that there's an increase in 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 reporting stories that are done on on esports. I mean, just as a corollary, I mean, Forbes puts out a ton of stuff, right? So business and Business Insider as well. They definitely need to talk about it, primarily because you go where the money is, right? And the money is going in that direction because the audiences are there, and and that's what it really comes down to is is the audiences that are playing games, watching games, watching people play games, um, is is a desirable audience. They're they're more technologically enabled. They're more educated. They tend to be more educated. They tend to have higher disposable incomes, um, and I would assume you see them in in more decision making roles uh, than the average viewer of traditional sports. So so there's value to the type of audience that's there, and that's what's driving all these brands, right? The brands want to show themselves in places where a, a a persona a desirable persona exists and so i think i think that's what we're seeing and i think that's why you're seeing nielsen get in the game there i think that's why you're seeing all these big brands like mastercard getting involved in, in league of legends etc um it's it's pretty telling right i mean and it also kind of you know it makes it a little more corporate a little more mainstream um, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Um, I think it, it, it helps kind of mature the sport uh, and, and probably helps get rid of some of the, the, the more toxic elements that, that people have historically associated with gaming. Yeah, people talk about how it's, uh, it's getting so corporate. Like, yeah, players are also getting paid, though, um, consistently. And they aren't having to chase that as much <laughs> or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, Remember how often that was a story like four years ago? Where oh this team won a major tournament but they haven't gotten paid in over a year they're on Twitter calling them out and they had a shoddy contract and now it's a 
that happened all the time. And now with all the corporate stuff coming in, I'm like, yeah, this is good. I'd rather have more sponsorships and actual money and consistency and good contracts and player agents and a professionalization aspect than not have that and have a bunch of players who aren't getting paid in an, an entire environment that's unhealthy and unsustainable. The legal language has probably improved quite a bit in terms of the agreements. And so I think everybody benefits from that, right? Um, and, and, and brands are certainly not going to, or certainly shouldn't be, uh, you know, jumping in half cocked without protecting themselves and, and, and vice versa. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's a good thing all around. Absolutely. So I want to be conscious of your time here. I have a few final questions for you before I let you go. Uh, as you work, and right now, esports gaming, I think a lot of people in the corporate world who are gamers want to do more of that. But ultimately, the reality is we don't have the bandwidth to cover or to work in esports and gaming all the time. Only a lucky few have that. How do you think esports and gaming can be incorporated into a larger marketing strategy? As you focus on digital trends, you do a lot of work for these companies. Is there a way that you can make gaming and esports play off of some of the other things you're doing? And so it creates a more synergistic effect? Or is it sort of like an outlier in a weird way and it's hard to create those synergies? I, I think it depends on what your what your marketing goals are and how broad your targets are, right? So so if you're if you're kind of this this big consumer brand and you have a gap that the audience of an esports activation helps fill, then okay, maybe it's a bit of an outlier. But if you're really go like if you're like if you're Razor and you're trying to advertise to a very specific group of people, um, obviously you're gonna go you're gonna be a lot more focused in your activations across across that vertical. Um yeah, so I, I think it I think it largely depends. Makes sense. I hope there's some way in, in the future that we can create I think gaming right now and we've seen it with some of the esports organizations, some of the moments that have happening, uh bring in music, bring in film. It's becoming another arm of the entertainment complex. Uh you see the Travis Scott Fortnite concert, for example. Uh Fortnite in general, Epic Games in general has brought a ton of movies and brands in, but Riot Games as well is creating a lot of music, partnering with Diplo, partnering with Warner Music uh, to create some really new entertainment offerings. So it feels like gaming's becoming a part of a much bigger entertainment world than it used to be, where it used to be kind of that outlier. Oh, that's what people do in their basements, as you mentioned uh, in the past. Now it's becoming mainstream, becoming just one of those pillars of a much wider uh, entertainment offering and then creating those partnerships between a game studio and a, a movie release, for example, in the case of Avengers or something like that. So it feels like there's a changing a little bit happening as we bring gaming further into the mainstream world. I, I do think you're right there. I think, um, you know, I, I probably should have mentioned that before, but but the, p combining it with other um, culturally relevant events is was happening before COVID. And I think you'll see it happen even more post COVID. Um, so again, like digital festivals are, are a great example, land parties, meetups, um, all that sort of stuff kind of speaks to, and and then the stuff you mentioned that's happening like in game with the, with the Travis Scott um, concert, et cetera. Um, I think, I think that convergence um, is inevitable. I think it'll continue. Um and I think maybe that's a way that 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 these games also bring in new audiences. I think so. I think so. I think it's a, it's an important step too in just creating those those mainstream audiences and the 
uh, that growth that esports needs to continue. So final question for you. Thank you so much for taking the time on this one. Looking way towards the future, I'd like to end on this just to see what's out there uh, in technology that's coming down. You know, it's hard to look into the future as we're embroiled with so many things in the world right now. But is there anything out there in the future that's kind of on your horizon as, hey, that might be a cool trend, be that VR, be that AR, uh, be it Google Glass or some sort of technology there? Is there anything out there that you're really excited for, but you don't think it quite makes sense for either brand clients or for yourself right now, but you're really excited for in the future? I think we're really on the precipice of VR becoming super ubiquitous. Um, and I think you're going to see that the immersion that comes with that is is going to be a bit of a game changer, right? So again, the barrier to entries, the barrier to entry is still really high for VR. I think the Quest did a really good job at lowering that barrier in that now you don't need a giant rig and a, you know, pardon my French, a shit ton of USB ports and, and wires to 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 consume VR, right? Now it can just be in your room. Uh, you can, you know, it's you're free from wires. It has hand gesture controls. It's becoming a much more accessible uh, medium. And, you know, the immersion that can come from that, even just from the cinematic experience, um, is, is, is huge. And, you know, I, the one example I'll give is I played... I remember playing Lone Echo um, when it first came out and thinking that it was one of the most immersive experiences I've ever had. I don't know if you played the the, the single player. I've not. Uh, okay, so that's what Echo VR is based on. Uh, but it is a single it's a it's a single player kind of narrative focused game where you're this android in a space station and all this stuff goes awry and you're like spacewalking and fixing stuff and it's just like it's so well done. Um, and so, you know, seeing that, and then the other example I'll give is, um, are you familiar with Elite Dangerous? I've heard of it. My friend's huge in, huge in that side of gaming. So, uh, well, tell, tell him I said 07, but, but Elite Dangerous is probably one of the most immersive games I've ever played. It is just, you're in space, the, their engine builds, renders the Milky Way galaxy to scale, and it's VR uh, enabled. And so you can sit there with a VR headset on, a full HOTAS setup. And you're just you're just in space. It's it's crazy. It's it's like you're in a space opera. It's like you're in a sci-fi movie. And so I think I think you're going to see this this proliferation of, of VR more and more as the technology becomes cheaper and it becomes more accessible and easier to use, and that content becomes easier to produce on it. So I, I definitely think that that's um, that's coming. Me too. It's uh, VR had. A moment it felt like three years ago where it was everything was vr and then there was this accessibility issue maybe some uh, some balance issues in terms of your personal balance in your head and it uh, would create some uneasiness or some motion sickness but as they figure that out and as they improve accessibility vr is still has a ton of potential to do some really awesome things and i think anybody who's thrown a rig on for even 20 minutes to be like, wow, yeah, there's there's some awesome stuff you can do here. Uh, we still are just really in the early days, so I'm excited for that. I, I also think um, AR and VR is gonna is gonna intersect with fitness more and more. Um, I think I think what you're seeing with with like Zwift and uh, Peloton, etc., is, I mean, it's kind of out of necessity with what's going on right now, but but this kind of digital immersion. Um, in working out at home is, is kind of big. And I just, I just started using playing uh, supernatural 
uh, which is a VR exercise app, and it's it's pretty good. It hooks up to a heart rate monitor. You get some metrics. Um, it's definitely a good workout. I think I think you're going to see more and more of that, right? Um, especially with some of the um, I'm not I, the name escapes me, but the uh, the VR walking rig. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I can't remember the name either. But yeah, the the one that's fully you run on like a treadmill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can't remember. So I think I think you're going to see a lot of um, I, I think you're going to see AR and VR propagate through uh, fitness technology as well. Beat Saber is a workout. I'll tell you what. Have you played Beat Saber? Oh yeah, Beat Saber well, is uh, Beat Saber is intense. Beat Saber is intense. It's, it's really fun. If for people who aren't familiar, you basically swipe lightsabers through blocks at increasing speed, and you have to hit the right angle. And it's a it's a workout for sure. You're tired after about 15 minutes of it. It's also one of those games that when you it's it, Beat Saber and, and Rocket League are kind of similar in that when you see someone that's so good at it, it is just really impressive to watch. It's true. It's true. It's it's like the top yeah. level of DDR, like back in the day when you see oh my god getting yeah. everything. You're like, how did they do that? That's and why aren't you a tap dancer? Yeah, why? Yeah, go dance already. Like you're you're moving your feet way too quickly for me. I can't keep up. Well, I could shoot the shit with you all day long uh, about gaming and about the trends that are happening, but I want to let you go. It's Monday morning, so I know you got a lot of things you got to accomplish, I'm sure. So, Christoph, tell them where they could find you, what they should be looking out from Gather and from your work, and really plug anything else that you uh, you want to plug right now. Yeah, so you can learn more about um, our consultancy, Gather, at gather.co. Um, we work with all sorts of companies, um, and we bring kind of the best and brightest to help solve your problems. Um, another thing I do want to call out, um, is, uh, this gaming space in the Bronx. I've been, I'm on the steering committee for it. It's called BX Start. Um, it's run by an organization called DreamYard. Um, and they've been doing some incredible work in, in helping bridge the gap around, uh, let's say socioeconomic injustice in gaming, right? In terms of, of, of normalizing who gets to play and, and reducing those barriers to entry and, and helping deal with the toxicity and, 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 and you know, different kind of cultural issues that, that we find in the gaming space. So um, I think they're doing really great work and it's, it's definitely worth checking out. So they're called BX Start. Um, otherwise, uh, I, think that's, I think that's it. Awesome. I'll put a link to BX Start in the description of this podcast so go check that out if you want to learn more about what they're doing and if you're interested in new york esports by god i have a podcast for you tomorrow i talk with mac from the new york subliners fresh off a massive win at the ny homestand this past weekend congrats to the subliners and happy to have the phenomenal rookie on the podcast that'll be tomorrow published on Wednesday, so you can get his perspective on champs moving online, uh, that win, competing against some of those longtime veterans, and how he's really positioned the subliners and helped the subliners become one of the most dominant Call of Duty teams we've seen. So be on the lookout for that one. Uh, Christoph, thank you so much for joining the show. It was great talking to you.